who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. What's up, everybody, and welcome to a brand new spoiler review for the most recent episode of The Mandalorian here on The Geek Buddies! We're back at it today, uh, jumping into this new uh, chapter here in Season 3 of The Mandalorian. This one is called The Pirates. Uh, It's a very interesting episode. Got a lot that went on in this episode for sure. We're going to break it on down. This is a spoiler review. So if you haven't watched it, uh, then uh, head on over there, watch it, and come back and hang out with us as we break this whole thing down. A lot of surprises. We have some Rebels appearances. We've got some uh, connective tissues that may be uh, going into other or connected storylines rather going into other areas here that may be leading us to the Ahsoka series. We also got some old school good versus evil uh, fights in the sky and fight on the ground. So a lot going on. Plus Bo-Katan. Oh, Bo-Katan. Yes, Bo-Katan. Yes, yes. Uh, Possibly um, (laughs) ordained as the new leader of Mandalore. We shall see. But a lot to jump into for sure. But let's introduce ourselves. I'm the outlaw John Rook, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you can see me right now on the season premiere of Party Down Season 3. Party Down. That's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, of course, big shout out to Carbon Health, who continues to power and sponsor us here on the Geek Buddies. I think this is their last possible sponsorship we shall see the last possible show depends on how we do picard but possibly the last one but yeah thank you to them if you want to head on over to carbonhealth.com to go get checked out today virtually or in person 80 plus clinics 100 plus clinics all over the world 80 plus clinics in california alone they'll take care of you plus they've been focusing a lot on mental health stuff for sure so if that's something you're going through they have 
great programs there to help you out or download the app to have a doc in your pocket. All right, let's get into this one. Michael, overall thoughts on this? As I said, sky battles, land battles, Bo-Katan possibly the leader of Mandalore and a special first time live action appearance of a Star Wars Rebel character. What's your thoughts on this episode? I am a little bit mixed on this episode. Wow, I um, really? okay. I I like that a lot of the threads uh, of the season are coming together. Okay. I like what we are doing with Mandalore. Love me a uh, love me a Rebels cameo, and that is some expensive CG. So I don't think that they spent all that money for a quick uh, cameo. I think we will be seeing more of our good buddy Zeb. Um, yeah. yeah, so I mean, there's a lot that's really good here. They're like, like, there's a lot going on. We kind of have a direction that's great. Um, boy, Din and Grogu didn't have a lot to do. Boy, boy, they were kind of just hanging out on the sidelines there, huh? Um, yeah. You know, I, I just think that they're it, it, they're telling a big story, and I like the big story they're yeah. doing. And as someone, and we've talked about this, I've watched all of Clone Wars. I've watched all of Rebels. I yeah. think everything with the Mandalorians and Bo-Katan story is really cool, and I'm glad that we're seeing that. I don't love that somehow Palpatine returned, but we are certainly, between this and Bad Batch, going out of our way to justify it. Um, and, they're, and they're weaving all of these things together, and I think it's all really cool. And as a Star Wars fan, I am down and I'm into all of this. Mm-hmm. But when you have a character or two characters that you've been following for two seasons and their relationship has sort of been the central thing that everything else has sort of revolved around, um, both of them kind of feel like they're just hanging out and they're hanging out in a storyline that could very easily center around them in a bigger way. Um, You know, like there's a lot of pieces here like Bo-Katan and the armorer kind of uh, coming together very clearly that Din could have been more central to. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of things happening here and I like where we're going, but I feel like we're kind of losing the main characters. And I also think consequently that's why this season isn't doing as well because i think if you're a hardcore star wars fan and you know what's going on and you see all this stuff it's great like oh this is why the new republic doesn't work oh this is what's going on with the first order oh there's zeb and that means ahsoka's coming and this is all really cool it's all great so like it's made for me and i'm eating it up but my friends who are not big Star Wars fans who all come to me for a lot of questions. Well, what did this mean? Well, what is this about? Well, when they said this, what's this? Like they are less interested because they're like, well, what's going on with Din and Grogu? Yeah. Yeah. God forbid they tell a bigger story, but I understand what you're saying. Uh, Michael Vogel. I, I, I hear your point. It's not binary. It's not binary. I'm not saying that you don't tell a big story. I'm saying you can actually do both. Picard's doing it very well. You're absolutely right, 100%. You're absolutely right on that uh, uh, on that angle there. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts on – and, Mike, you're a little uh, – the internet's a little weird for you, so I don't know if you want to go back and come back in as Shannon's giving his thoughts, your choice, but you're a little uh, off. Am I wrong on that, Shannon? Okay, does he look a little – He's a little pixelated. Yeah, yeah. pixelated. Right. So just well, to see if you can figure that out. But, well, but Shannon, your um, thoughts overall on this episode? I mean, you know, this is the perfect time for Vogel to jump off because it's – you know, very similar to what he thought. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so some really great action, like the whole idea of the Mandalorians infiltrating Navarro as a SEAL Team 6 type unit. Yeah. Fantastic. Super cool to see that shot of them, you know, doing that jump out of Bo-Katan's ship. You know, that was in the trailer, and that was one of those sequences yeah. that I was really, really looking forward to. So I was like, wow, this is this is a level up in terms of budget. And, you know, when Zeb popped up, I wasn't sure that was Zeb at first. Mm, I, I right. He, Zeb has clearly chilled out 
since uh, Rebels because I was yeah. like, I don't know if that's Steve Blum um, who voiced Zeb for the series, but you know, yeah. sure enough, it was Zeb. Um, I think one of the one of the things that I find interesting is again, we, you know, we won't be able to say until we get to the end of of the season. But while I do agree, like yes, there is a way to do this where Din and Grogu are a little more central to your storytelling. Right. Um, I, I'm looking at the plotting at the way they're kind of building out that bigger world, and right now the elements are pretty disparate. Um, now you, we have Paul Lee coming back as, as Carson Tava. And it's kind of like, okay, right. there's, there's a, there's a connection there. Like there are connections, but you know, that giant episode with Dr. Pershing, while I did really like it, I'm like, is there a way to d- divvy this up a little bit more? Right. So it's not, it doesn't feel like such a hard right turn when we're suddenly with this character who we've not seen in a while um, for the majority of the episode. And, you know, you introduce in the season, you know, Gorian Shard, who was just like, oh, this is a really cool character. And he's dispatched yeah. in, you know, very, very quickly. Um, the whole idea that, you know, the Imperials, you know, they're they're talking about TIE fighters. I'm like, well, we haven't seen that. And that's the first time we're actually hearing that. Um, and also... As as much of a fan of of Tim Meadows as I was back in SNL, I'm like Tim Meadows. He really took me out of it because when you have a performer who is so known for comedy in a role like this, um, it, it's difficult to kind of separate. It's it, it, it's different. It's difficult to um, ascertain the stakes of the moment because um, I feel like Paul Lee. And even Katie O'Brien, they were kind of in one scene and Tim Meadows is in another. And it's not necessarily anything that Tim Meadows is doing. It's just that, you know, for me, when I see Tim Meadows, I see the ladies man. I see his role on the Goldbergs. I mean, even his role on Poker Face. Um, I'm like, he is very much a comic performer. And to have him in this role where there is a little bit of a comic glint in his eye, I'm like, you're kind of sucking the stakes out of this situation. Like, this doesn't seem like as big a deal hmm. so the casting of that i thought was curious and that's not to say that he's not a good actor because he is right. a good actor but i just think that that was a choice that I'm like i don't know what he got you i think there were probably better performers that maybe we don't recognize that would have been more suitable for that role and maybe would have um delivered a performance that's a little more that was a little more uh less taking out okay are you consistent across the board? I know you haven't liked Amy Sedaris. Did you not like Bill Burr either? Bill Burr, you know, his second episode was was a lot was a lot better. But the whole idea of a guy from Boston in space, you know, it's it's just one of those things. It's like ah, his accent is so thick. Gotcha. Like he's 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 from the southy part of Coruscant, I guess. Um, okay. But even like uh, the the I can't remember her name right now. But even the actress who plays who played Tonks, who was in that the 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 breakout episode that Bill Burr was in, oh, yeah. um, in season one. I mean, even her performance, I was like, oh god. Um, well, Natalia so Tana. I did... Natalia Tana, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like four, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, there have been some performances that have been a little. Okay. A little iffy, a little iffy for me thus far. Well, I, I find myself in the rare position on the opposite side of these two gentlemen. I really loved the episode. I enjoyed it from top to bottom. I understood exactly 
what they were going for, and it worked for me. I, I really dug it. It had a nice mixture of the old school Star Wars good versus evil stuff, but also weaving in a little bit of the Andor thing. And by that, I mean like the grind of the bureaucracy and the New Republic and all of this. The thing that I think is dangerous, though, I will say, even though I enjoyed the episode, is I wonder how much we are coming very close to undercutting what was the whole point of the original trilogy. Because if they overthrew Darth Vader, overthrew Palpatine, but then they were just incompetent buffoons for decades till First Order came around, then really, yeah, great, you did that, but it doesn't have the same weight or resonance. And for me, I'm starting to feel like they are getting real close to that line where it's starting to feel like, well, great, you did it, but what was the point? Because they well, came right on back a few years later because you guys weren't able to do it. And I wonder if that takes a little bit of the shine off of um, Luke and Leia and Han and everybody else involved with the uh, uh, alliance there that overthrew the Empire. I it, just don't know. So it's interesting. It does, but that's not their fault. That's J.J. Abrams' fault. Like, they're mm. they're filling in the gaps. Oh, for creating the First Order, do you yeah, mean? Yeah, they're, for, they're oh, filling yeah, in the true. gaps, but the gaps yeah, yeah. are there. Like, Leia... Leia left the New Republic and started a resistance because they wouldn't listen to her. Like right. Leia went right. and was like, you guys are idiots because you are literally letting the Empire rebuild itself and you're right. pretending it's not happening. Yeah. So again, like it's like the, the New Republic does ultimately fail. They get blowed up by the yeah. bigger Death Star. So uh, if you're going to do the first order was allowed to build itself out in the outer rim because nobody was really patrolling the outer rim because the new republic couldn't really do it and leia was the only one who knew but nobody would listen to her yeah that's the story you got to tell they don't get to tell a different story that's what they've got so yeah. those are the building blocks and they're doing a good job of building because like i do enjoy i mean i enjoyed the episode like you you yeah. give me a bunch of star wars battles and pirates and mandalorians flying around like i'm happy um, but I do think as I'm talking to other people and you do, you, it's noticeable that particularly in this episode, like Mando, aside from giving the speech that got everybody yep. Yep. on board to go in, um, and like, obviously he and Bo kind of like handled, handled the, uh, the Corsair, the ship, but yep. you know, it's like, it just definitely feels like he's one of the group and he's not really driving the story. And Grogu's basically just like, Hey, I'm chilling. Give me some more Beskar. Yeah, like yeah. he's just doing his thing. Yeah, and yeah, to be I mean, fair, it was really Vizsla who got the other Mandalorians to get right. going. It wasn't. It wasn't Din. Well, he pushed him over the edge. Din had got them, maybe possibly thinking about it. Oh, I don't see that. <laughs> really, you don't think his speech new. did anything? Really? New. I th I think that speech motivated Pat, uh, uh, Paz Vizsla um, okay. because. Yeah, because yeah. even that, like you know, there were those moments during during Din's speech where you know you were getting that you know crowd walla walla of like oh yeah i don't know if we should do this but it was ultimately <laughs> the guy, walla walla is great watermelon, the, the guy watermelon, with the, watermelon. The, the the blaster gatling gun he's the one that ultimately got people to do it right 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 but it was after mando had laid the speech i feel the foundation for this all but i i see your point so uh, but we're jumping around all over the place, so I, you know, I'm not sure how this review is going to go, but we'll have some fun with it for sure. No, no, I mean, I think it's good because there's a lot that happened in here. But, uh, you know, but like I said, I, 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 but, you know, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Let's just, uh, <laughs> real quick. Uh, all right. So basically, the premise of this grief, Karga is out here mapping his city. I love how far the high magistrate has come from leader of bounty hunters 
to a guy who's figuring out how to get the stock to the uh, uh, to the markets quicker, how to create highway traffic patterns that are good for everybody. I love how far he's come. And then Gorian Shard shows up with his pirates there on his Corsair ship. By the way, uh, that type of warship was actually first introduced in those prequel Thrawn novels. So good to see it here in live action again. And then um, we, I, I don't know if he mentions it here or if he mentions it later, but there's a mention of Bullock Canyons here. And that's might be, a, and that's obviously a reference to uh, Jeremy Bullock, who played the original Boba Fett. But anyway, we see Karga show, uh, uh, we see Karga get a, or hail, um, uh, Gorian Shard there, and Shard shows up, and uh, he gives Karga uh, shit for looking like a pompous sky with his pomp and circumstance. Uh, he's mad at uh, Grief for having his helmsman killed the last time, I think the first episode there when we saw that here, and Grief tries to use the New Republic as a defense, but Gorian sees right through it. Then Gorian says, don't hail me until you're ready to surrender, and launches an offensive on the citizens of Navarro. Grief wants to protect them instead of escaping, but it's a brutal, it's a pretty brutal attack. Uh, and then we head off to Adelphi Station and we hear some psychedelic rock music going on, as you would at these bars. We see X-Wing uh, fight, uh, fighter pilots, but we also see X-Wings and Y-Wings out there. Uh, they're hanging out in this bar. Carson Teva is back. He gets a message. The message is from Grief saying, hey, come and help us. I'm calling in a favor. Please do something. Um, and as he's closing the message, who shows up? Zeb, as we mentioned here just a few seconds ago. Zeb is here live action. The first member of the crew, non-droid, that has a live action appearance in a show that actually has been shown, right? We've seen allusions to um, to Harrison Dola coming back, but she has not officially come back yet. But she will be in the Ahsoka Tano show for sure. But we also see in the bar Dave Filoni's damn hat there as Trapper Wolf. Uh, and then Rick Fayua is Fayua is there as well as Jib Dodger and Deborah Chow as Sash Kettos who are reprising their roles as X-Wing uh, uh, fighters there. But it's Grief Karga asking him to set a New Republic contingent. Um, and uh, uh, Teba talk, and Zeb says, oh, man, I, I, it's a shame. I thought Navarro was going to make it, but it's unfortunate. So clearly implying that uh, pirates have been essentially replacing the Empire and going after these planets. Uh, and then we hear, as we said, Steve Bloom, as Shannon said, come, uh, coming back to voice Zeb. And Zeb saying, you know, it's just a shame. And, uh, you know, uh, what can you do? And Teba said, I'm going to go to the Coruscant and I'm going to tell them what the hell is up. And uh, Zeb's like, good luck. You're going to need it. And they roll out here. And then we see him show up at Coruscant and walk into this big, officious building. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the Andor. Remember when they walked into that big building as well on Coruscant there? Elia Kane watches Teba walk in there. There's a funny bit. And we see Colonel Tuttle. That's who Tim Meadows is playing. There's a funny bit with a droid giving him more work. Elia Kane walks in after Teba has made his plea to Tuttle. And sticks her damn nose in this business. She chimes in that Navarro never signed the charter. Maybe they need to learn the lesson of why they should have signed it. Teva says that's very imperial thinking, which she plays the wounded but quote-unquote bigger person about it. And then Tuttle chimes in that they can't help. Teva reveals that there were stormtroopers and TIE fighters, as Shannon mentioned earlier, that have been there. And then Moff Gideon once ran the place, which causes a flicker of a reaction from uh, Katie O'Brien there. And all these events are not looking good. Eli says they need a new mindset, and Teva pushes back that they didn't see the light. They were captured, referring to uh, uh, to Eli and her crew there, who were supposedly liberated from uh, Moff Gideon and the Empire's control. So let's stop there. A lot from the opening here, uh, Grief Cargo versus uh, Gory and Shen, and then what we get at the bar with T Zeb showing up, and then, boom, what we get here at this uh, big building with uh, 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 Colonel Tuttle 
is that what it is? Or Captain Tuttle? Was it uh, Tuttle? Colonel. Whatever his name is. Colonel Tuttle, yeah, which is a reference to Robert De Niro's character in Terry Gilliam's film Brazil. That's uh, what that reference is, which is all about bureaucracy stopping uh, the ability to help people. So, Mike, your thoughts on these opening scenes here, man? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, the opening is great. It's a great setup. Like, I mean, I love like, okay, Gorian Shard is back. He's coming for Navarro. Like, Grief Karg is in trouble. Like, it's it's all great. It's vintage Star Wars. I really like Gorian Shard's design. Like, I, one of the yeah, things I do yeah. think start, they're doing really well with Mandalorian and in general, like, Star Wars does great recycling. Uh, once someone has created something great. So, you know, you've got your you've got your Twi'leks, you've got your Mon Calamaro, you've got your Quarren, you've got whoever, like we, your Weequays, we get to see them over and over and they really populate the universe. But whenever you get a new alien design to add into the mix, uh, it's great. And this whole sort of like Moss Man, Pizza the Hut, weird, <laughs> gloppy thing that they've got going on with him. He's just a really, really fun cool design like i'm into him yeah. he's a great fun i also love in general that the pirates are literally sort of dressed piratey like yeah. like 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 striped shirts bandanas like we're really going for like you're basically on the jolly roger like i was into all of it like i think it's just super super fun and it's a great setup for the threat and you you sort of like you sort of are seeing right away the writing on the wall where things are going um yeah. but then you pop over to Adelphi station and again super cool like i love seeing the new republic at work like i love seeing yeah. them yeah. trying to do stuff i think carson tave is a great character at this point i wish we knew a bit more about him mm. like i think he's great super into him would love to know why he of all of the New Republic fighters that we could focus on is the guy that's going the extra mile. Why does he care mm -hmm. so much about what's going on on the Outer Rim? Why does he care? Like, And it doesn't need to be like, I don't need like an entire episode that's just about Carson Tava, but like <laughs> a couple lines here or there about, yeah, you know, I remember fighting in the rebellion. Like I joined up because I was in the Outer Rim. Like I just want like a couple little factoids to be like, oh, that's why he cares so much. Okay, I got it. Um, Zeb was great. Zeb is also the perfect example of the right way to do a Star Wars cameo. Yeah. Um, because if you are a nerd like we are and you watched Rebels, Zeb comes out and you scream and you do the real life Leonardo DiCaprio meme. You point at the TV, <laughs> you look around, you check Twitter, you text your friend, you say, Have you watched it yet? Holy shit. Like, you do the thing. But if you're not a Star Wars person, Zeb is just a really cool alien that comes and gives you some good information. Yeah, yeah, Coruscant, they're all backed up. They're not getting anything done. Like, oh, so you get the important information and then you're not a Star Wars person and then you see all your friends are freaking out and then you're like, oh, okay, that's who that was. But it doesn't confuse you. And I think right. a couple times, not just in Mando, but in Boba Fett and in general, Star Wars has this habit of like a character shows up and you have to know a little bit more about them than maybe – they're giving you so again just like props to them for really really solid just setup and a great cameo of someone that again that was some high quality cg i am sure we are seeing more of zeb <laughs> um and then yeah then jumping over to coruscant i love that we're spending so much time on coruscant and to john's point i love that after having andor which yeah. did such an amazing job of Coruscant and showing the Empire, you're sort of seeing that the bureaucracy of running um, an entire galaxy isn't just the Empire's problem. 
Um, yeah. And in a lot of ways, the empire might have been a little better at the bureaucracy, at the expense of, you know, humanitarian efforts and actually like <laughs> treating people like human beings and like, you know, killing people and putting them in prison camps. So right. all things being equal, not the who I would go with. But I mean, the, the trains Republic, ran on time, Michael. <laughs> it it really is. I mean, it is it is so true, though. It is so like I was watching it and I was like, oh, man, that trains ran on time thing really is like the trains <laughs> run on time. There's death camps and they're killing people. But man, that bureaucracy was on top. Like that was tight. It was tight. Um, <laughs> work on time. Just, that's all I know. Yeah. Exactly. But you do. And Elia Kane's going to be a really interesting character to watch because mm -hmm. what she is representing here, like I was saying before, is this idea of what happened, which is a lot of people who were in the empire and got excused, whether they joined the amnesty program yeah. or for whatever reason, became a part of the new republic and became the centrists who said, hey, we really should still have a big government. Also, if those people on the outer rim don't want to join us, that's cool. Let them do their thing. We don't need to patrol them. And they were doing it and then feeding money into pirates and other people to keep things crazy out there so that the empire could rebuild itself into the first order. So right. again, you're seeing all the pieces of that and I'm I'm intrigued by where they're going with all of this. Uh, and again, I'll just say that, so it's clear, like I enjoyed all of this. I could talk for hours about the New Republic and the First Order and all of these things that are happening, but all of this is all surrounding other stuff and while Din and Grogu are just sort of like laying out catching some rays by, uh, by Crocoturtle Lake. There we go. Hey, how you doing? Um, also, one thing to throw in that I didn't mention here, some of the information from uh, Gorian Shard saying that seeing through the New Republic bluff of um, of uh, um, of uh, Grief Karga here and making the Sabak reference was hilarious, but also saying like the New Republic can't even patrol the mid rim, let alone the outer rim. So it's all bullshit. It's very well known how how incompetent to, for lack of a better term, uh, that the New Republic is in enacting their desires to rule the galaxy in a much more open, caring, freer way. And it's allowing this crime to kind of pop up and take over in certain areas. So it's very interesting. I want to dissect this scene maybe later for myself. I might even do a separate video because essentially they're making commentary about two different approaches to ruling and the flaws in both that almost would make you feel like, well, what's the whole point of any any side of it doing it? So anyway, Shannon, your thoughts on these first three scenes here in this uh, in this episode? I mean, I like the setup. I did think the the interaction between Carl Weathers and the two background performers um, was a little stilted. And, you know, I, I think so much more life can be breathed into, uh, into a scene when there is an actual interaction yeah, versus yeah. Carl Weathers talking at these people and them going, you know, just give them, a, you know, I, I get it's a budgetary thing. Yeah. Um, I get all that money went to Zeb. Um, <laughs> but, sure but, you know, scenes just feel more real. You get more invested when there's an actual connection and an interaction. Yeah. Um, I, with Vogel on the design of Gorian Shard, I'm like, this is such a cool, this is such a cool character. I love when the Mandalorian title card came up that there was a background of concertina music, the little pirate accordion. Oh, I yeah. was like, that's, that's a lot of, that's a fun, that's a fun, fun note. Um, the scene with Carson uh, Tiva, 
I think that was a missed opportunity because mm-hmm. instead of having a bunch of pilots kind of sitting around drinking and playing pool, I think you could have them talking about like, wait, where, where was I supposed to go? Where were you supposed You could see the oh, um, h- how things aren't coordinated and how they're not really good at this yet. Wait, versus- Shannon, let me, add something. let me add something. This is a great point because like they're sitting around laughing and smiling and, play- and like all these other areas, their backlog supposedly, shouldn't they be more stressed out that they want to go and do these kinds of things? So that's an excellent point. It could have been a much more serious uh, scene with uh, all the yeah. pilots there. Good point. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's an element of confusion that would have been that would have been helpful instead of a bunch of people just kind of hanging out. Um, and then by the time we get to Coruscant, you know, Andor did such a good job at establishing, as as you all both already said, the bureaucracy. Um, but also just, I feel, I don't know if it's just English set design or what, but I mean, the, the world of Andor just looks a little more tangible, whereas uh, the the uh, uh, New Republic headquarters, it looks like a kind of not the most well-designed set. Like, you know, we've got our cubicles, like we've got, we've got everything that Andor has. It right. just seems like it wasn't done quite as well. Um, and I do think the whole idea that the the reason the First Order was able to kind of come back or the Empire was able to come back in the form of the First Order is because, you know, they're not, the New Republic wasn't good at the bureaucracy. And I think, again, not to keep harping on Tim Meadows, um, but the the casting of him, it makes it comical um, versus that confusion we were talking about. I think there's a way, like the moment that um, Katie O'Brien says, you know, they, they haven't signed a, haven't, you know, they're not a charter member. And he's like, Oh, not good. Like that is, that is right out of a three camera sitcom, that reaction. Like, uh, again, I feel like Andor did it better sort of playing the bureaucracy uh, of just like, ah, well, yeah, I was supposed to do this and we were supposed to do that. So the whole setup just feels a little disjointed that we've got this situation as it's being presented with a, with a sort of comic performance with two other performers who aren't really lining up with it. So that's, that's the thing. And I haven't thought about that. Like the whole reason that uh, they were able to reform is because the New Republic couldn't get their shit together and yeah. patrol the outer rim. So putting that all together, it's like, ah, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of balls being dropped right now. It feels like, right? Because the Empire, you, you mentioned the Empire. Obviously, we were talking about trains running on time, but it was cool. It was clean. It was much more imposing and intimidating. And sure, that's the way it's shot. That's the way it lit. it's lit. It's framed. And yeah, the the way Teva's walking in there, he looks like he's just walking into a regular old building in a regular old city, and it's not that big of a deal. Whereas when everyone else was walking in a, in a, in Andor, it was like this real sense of dread or tension or stress. And so you see the difference. Plus, uh, Tuttle is like overwhelmed with work, right? Which is very reminiscent of what we saw uh, with Doctor Pershing, and then of course with um, oh God, what is his character on Andor? Well, he was getting all the work as well, sitting at his cubicle. So just oh, one Cyril. After- Cyril, right. Cyril Kane. Yeah. He was getting all the work that he was getting. So it's just, it's just repetitive patterns, two different ways of ruling the same bullshit that they're dealing with. Um, I didn't mind the Tim Meadows thing. I like it because they're not going to go and or in Mandalorian. They're not, they're going to keep that kind of playful approach to certain things, but you're right, Shannon. It does. You risk undercutting the stakes of a scene. And certainly it felt that way. And comically, comically incompetent and uh, being taken advantage of or how, 
the first order came to be is a lot of those people were in charge in the new Republican. Think about some of your bosses in your life, people. Some of them were comically incompetent, well, like Tim Meadows. So anyway, let's take a quick but, break well, and uh, we'll jump into really more quick. Can I just say, can I just say yeah, one sure. thing on the Tim Meadows? Like I, I know, I know I always want to say the one thing, but sure. I, I think that to Shannon's point, like it doesn't, it's not like, it's not a choice of, is it comedic or is it dark and serious like Andor? Like, that's not the only thing that happens. Like, one of the things that I think is a little bit off on the Tim Meadows scene is we open up and the droid is dumping the stuff on his desk and you get that he's a little overworked and busy, but then he completely stops working to have this extended conversation with these two characters. Mm -hmm. And there's a way to sort of keep the comedy of a scene and have, like, a few droids on a loop. He can't even, he can barely have this conversation with Carson Teva and Elia Kane. And he's stressed out that they're talking to him. And he's like, I like, there's a way for him to sort of dismiss Carson. Like, nope, she's right. I got this. We got to do this. Okay. You know what? I, I, I got, I got 15 droids right. here. Like there's a way to actually have a fun comedic scene, but still play up what Shannon's talking about, which is just the confusion. And I think they sort of just relied on Tim Meadows to Tim Meadows it as mm. opposed to making the comedy sort of come from the. Uh, situation, which I think would have been a star- a stronger choice. Okay. Got your last word in. All right. We'll be right back uh, right after this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we have time constraints, so let's go. I don't know how many <laughs> words we've got here. But anyway, we cut to – let's see. We'll see. Okay. We cut to Grief leading his people out to an area. He's like the Black Moses leading everybody out into the promised land. Deva flies – to, and Teva fly, takes it upon himself after he's turned down by Tuttle, flies to the Mandalorian covert and tries to recruit Mando to help him. How did he track him? He tracked him down using R5 because R5 fought alongside Teva in the Rebel Alliance here uh, or to, in the Galactic Civil War. Mando says they need to relocate now because they because Teva found them. Not because these pterodactyl things are killing the foundling, but because Teva found them, they got to relocate here. And Paz Vizsla goes, well, we could just kill the motherfucker. And <laughs> So anyway, he relays his concerns about Navarro to Mando. He kind of guilts him into maybe helping and then walk and then flies off. Um, uh, and then Mando is talks to Bo-Katan and initially they have a little back and forth about possibly helping. Then we cut to Mando giving his recruitment speech there to all the Mandalorians. He says the Imperials attacked the Covert. He says, yes, the that the Imperials were the ones that drove into the sewers. And yes, they did fight Greek Karga and the uh, bounty hunters, but things have changed. Uh, and so give him a ch- give them a chance, come and fight. Uh, and then he hands the hammer off to Paz Vizsla when the armor asks, does any- anybody else want to speak? He gets up there, Paz, and initially it looks like he's going to be against Mando, but then turns around and says, no, we got to fight because we're Mandalorians. That's why we do this. And those two people, they saved my kid, and I think they're right. Let's go do this. And the armor goes, this is the way. Uh, and they head on off there. bo lays the plans for the battle uh, and they get a briefing on the info and guardian shard ship and as uh, and fighters, snub fighters there. And as Shannon said, we see the scene when they show up in Navarro, we see them all dropping out of, uh, out of Bo-Katan's uh, ship there. The pirates, uh, as Michael said on the Jolly Roger, just stumbling around drinking, beating up poor droids, kicking dudes straight <laughs> over. There's all this comedic shit here. But the Mandalorians show up and begin their attack. And Vane is there. Yes, Vane is there. The Ike Clanton of the Mandalorian. <laughs> That's what I think of him always. He drops the Mandalorians. Like I said, they start wrecking havoc on the pirates. Din leads the fighters away as bo attacks Gorian Shard's ship. Vane, uh, Gorian realizes what they're doing, calls Vane and the fighters back. They come back. Some Mandos get boxed in. Then Paz, Paz Vizsla shows up and tear erects house with a 50 cal 
Then a Trandoshan <laughs> arms a, takes a rifle up there from Grief Karga's uh, office and starts shooting down some of the Mandalorians. And then the armor shows up and takes them all out. They chase the pirates out of the city where they get surrounded by Grief and the Mandalorians. Vane leaves Gorian high and dry. Peace out. It's been nice serving you, but I got to live. Uh, and Gorian turns the ship around in a little bit of darkness here, says, fuck it, I'm going to kill the citizens even with the la- with my last shots. And uh, both uh, uh, Bo-Katan and uh, Mando converge on his last engine, shoot it down, and we see Gorian die in a blaze of glory, screaming as his ship crashes into the uh, uh, Navarro's surface. So uh, let's stop there. Gentlemen, uh, Shannon, I go to you first. A lot of action sequences here, but first, we had the speech. We had uh, Teva going and finding the Mandalorian at the uh, at the covert. So, your thoughts on these three scenes? I mean, the the uh, uh, Teva meeting the Mandalorians, like as he's walking up, and as we pull back, we see that you know they've got him kind of ready to snipe him. That yeah. was all great. Like I, and again, despite the fact that you know blue is something we would call you know police in our world, I do like that they <laughs> refer to Teva as blue. Like you know, get out of here, blue. Right. <laughs> and blue, yeah. The whole idea that that Paz Vizsla is just kind of like we don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> Let's just kill this guy. Yes. Like I love that. That's just such a, you know, he, he's already sort of an established character. Like of the Mandalorians, he's probably like number number three after yeah. Din and the armor. Um, but it's just such a fun uh, fun window into his personality. But you also know that he's a dad, and so yeah. so when he kind of takes over for Din's speech. And as you said, John, he, he does a little three card Monty where he thinks, he's, you know, he's like, now I'm, we're, why should we do this? Because we're Mandalorians, because we yeah. fight. And the fact that he says, you know, I've disagreed with this man, but also he saved my kid. Also, she, you know, she she helped save my kid. This is the right thing to do. So you see kind of the the shift in the Mandalorian's uh, point of view is that they would hide and take care of their own. And now it's like, OK, we have a chance to do something good. And so it's it is a it is a fun shift. To yeah. watch um the whole uh uh infiltration into uh navarro that that was awesome again I like know. watching the mandalorians get to mandalorian um it, it's 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 so much fun like you you see them moving along as like as you know like one kind of cohesive unit um all of the all of the aerial combat was good and the idea that you know the pirates were able to take Navarro over because Navarro is not a military. They don't have a military. You yeah, know? They, yeah. They, they don't even have a sheriff. Um, but when they're actually confronted with trained soldiers, you see that they are literally kind of bunch of a bunch of drunken buffoons. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Din is able to take out almost an entire fleet with one ship, and. Again, the one little guy uh, who who is full on Smee, yeah. <laughs> he, he, you know, he's giving Gorian Shard the updates. I, I I thought that whole sequence was was a lot of fun, and then watching, knowing that we're going to see Vane again as he full on does the the star scream and you know pieces out, um, and, and then taking out Gorian Shard like that was all that was all a blast. I would say. Uh, the one thing that kind of like, guys, come on, we can do better. I don't know why the armor feels the need to use her forging pliers to beat people up. Yeah. <laughs> like we could probably give her some sort like the hammer. Hammer works great. Maybe not the pliers. Let's give her something else. <laughs> but overall, the sequence was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, I, I forgot to mention that uh, one of the ways that Mando motivates them is by saying that grief has offered me land on Navarro. And if we can, you know, get this victory, maybe it's time for us to be in the light again, for our kids 
to play in the sunlight and everything like that. So a kind of an interesting uh, plea that's going to come up here in our next section that we discuss. Michael, your thoughts on these three scenes here? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, I did wonder a little bit about there's a little bit of a, lo- a jump in Carson Tava being like, I reached out to R5, my buddy from the rebellion. I was like, well, wait. <laughs> So you, how did you know that, did you go to Tatooine and talk to Peli Mato and find out that she sold R5 because of the thing and the, it was a little bit of a, okay, but like, you gotta get, you gotta get moving. So I'll give it to him. Um, <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. R5. Uh, I also do love that R5, like basically broke down at the beginning of a new hope and then had an entire journey of fighting in the rebellion and ended up back on Tatooine at Peli Mato's. Like, uh, I know there's a whole story about it in uh, one of the Star Wars novels, but I just love that R5 has like really been on a journey, Um, which I do do like. I do hope we get some more R5 in our lives moving forward because I do find this this droid very, very humorous. He's not quite, uh, he's not quite R2 or Chopper, but he's up there, he's up there for me. Um, but yeah, I, t- I like, I think the speech was great. I really liked it. I, I love this. You know, at this point, you're sort of seeing where things are going. Like, okay, Navarro is going, the Mandalorians are going to Navarro and this is where they're going to regroup because we know that they're going to go be badass. I thought the Paz Vizsla kind of turn was good. I, I, I did like, I, I bought into it as well. I thought, okay, there's going to be this whole fight. They're going to have a thing. And then his turn was like, oh, okay, all right, not, not, not the bad guy that I thought you were not so shabby. I love a Star Wars, uh, here's what we're going to do scene. Let's look at some holograms and let's talk yeah. about what we're about to do. Um, sets, it sets you up. I thought it was great. Bo-Katan, Bo-Katanning was great. And as Shannon said, Mandalorians, Mandalorianing, Mandalorianing are great. So this whole sequence was just a blast. I mean, this is what, and this is where, particularly with season three, you see where uh, they're really spending the money on these yeah. scenes like some of the action sequences that we've gotten this season are absolutely fantastic and Bo and din just like flying circles around this ship taking out all of the pirates was awesome um i think mvp award does go to the uh kawaki and monkey lizards who were really pissed about <laughs> yeah. getting shot at and yeah. said hey <laughs> they're over there uh, <laughs> really if it hadn't been for those Kawaki and monkey lizards, I don't know if the Mandalorians would have done it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just, I mean, the whole action sequence was a ton of fun. Um, and yeah, I, the armorer is on the verge of like some Michael Myers shit. Like she doesn't run anywhere. <laughs> she just stroll like everyone else is like flying around, shooting, running. Oh, we're pinned in, we're gunned in. And she just <laughs> strolled on up and took out that Trandoshan and was like, we're good, everybody. We've got it <laughs> under control. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was just it was a ton of fun. I mean, this is and this is where you know we talk a lot about Andor and oh well, Andor makes Coruscant look a little bit better. Andor does this. Like I think that when you get into the fun of Star Wars, like the the crazy action sequences, the ridiculous pirates, the Kowakian yeah. monkey lizards, like all this stuff, like this is where Mandalorian really really shines because once they drop into, we are going to give you some Star Wars fun. Like they go full Star Wars fun, and it's always just a blast. 
Yeah, agreed. Well, we, well, let's move on here. We cut to Grief Karga delivering a great speech, uh, welcoming the Mandalorians to Navarro and giving them the land. I give you the lands, you know, all of this stuff. And the armor speaks with Bo Katan, or armor, sorry, the armor wants to speak with Bo Katan. Paz Vizla gets her. He leads her to this underground place, and the underground place leads us to the first forge that we saw in the first season that they had there. And the Mandalor and uh, the armor talks to Bo about the forge. Uh, the first forge, the great forge, rather, on Mandalore. She said it rang with the music of a hundred hammers. She speaks poetically about this situation. She asks Bo-Katan to remove her helmet, and Bo hesitates. So kind of Bo is showing you that Bo has kind of bought into this uh, uh, covert and doesn't want to risk what she's discovered here, this kind of found family situation. But the armor says, do you trust my station? She says, yes. And then she takes off her helmet, and she says, that their people, uh, Armor says, is their people have strayed too far from the way and that all their people must walk the way together. She speaks that the mythosaurs assign that Bo, who has walked both worlds, can unite them. Then the Armor and Bo walk out together without Bo without her helmet. Uh, Paz is questioning this, and uh, uh, the Armor says she can do this because she has walked to both worlds. She's going to go find uh, these random Mandalorians and bring them back, and we're going to build ourselves back up again on Navarro so we can launch an offensive to take over Mandalore, and that uh, uh, essentially Bo-Katan will be the one who will take over and become the leader of Mandalore. Uh, and then we cut to Teva in space, coming upon a derelict Lambda shuttle. He launches a probe through the droid, through his droid, and we see that it's a new Republican prison transport. It was the ship that was carrying Moff Gideon, which he had referenced earlier in the scene with Tuttle, that Moff Gideon, that he had no belief that Moff Gideon, uh, uh, you know, is some kind of lost or whatever and didn't get to that trial. And Teva realizes that it was an extraction of Gideon. He finds some Beskar alloy on the wall, and there is speculation that he was taken possibly by the Mandalorian. So, uh, Mike, your thoughts on this as we got about 15, 20 minutes left in the show. Go ahead, man. Um, yeah, I thought, uh, I thought it was great. I mean, I really liked, uh, where the Bo-Katan storyline is going. Um, I really loved the scene between her and the armorer. I just, I think again, I wish that somehow we had built a little bit more, um, antagonism between the two of them at the beginning. Like mm -hmm. kind of when Bo, by the time when Bo shows up with the covert, she basically keeps that helmet on, super respectful, has some yeah. nice chats with the armorer. So this scene was really great, and the armorer having her take off her helmet and stuff. But I think had there been a little bit more, these two don't see eye to eye early on. And again, maybe Din being in the middle, being like, ah, look, Bo's my friend. Hey, the armorer raised me. Like, if Din had maybe been used a little bit to bring them closer, this scene would have hit harder. But nevertheless, it was a really cool scene. And if you've been following Bo-Katan's story through all of Clone Wars and Rebels, uh, kind of seeing her get to step into this role again, it's it's meaningful. Like, it's really, really great. Um, I, I'm curious to see where this all goes. I like, you know, like, I, does the, is the armorer saying that everybody needs to come back and keep their helmets on or is the armorer kind of saying look we have our way other mandalorians have their way that's that we not all what need she's to saying come together i don't know that she's not i again you're really big on she's a yeah. secret villain who's going to make everyone join her cult and so far <laughs> she's put bo katan in charge she's put i don't again you can hold on to that villain thing as much as you want <laughs> 
I know. Except nothing in the series thus far <laughs> has pointed to her or Paz Vizla or anybody being a villain in any way, shape, or form. Oh, let's just kill Teva. Yeah, that's totally a hero thing to do. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Are you insane? Her uh -huh. saying that they all must walk the way is, is fucking hardcore saying that this is the only way to function. It is essentially the Empire. You all must do this or you won't be part of us anymore. That is villainous to think that way. Uh, so uh, to me, I think she's very clearly becoming a villain, um, but you're just not noticing it. I, I, I don't know. You I, say it's clear yeah. that it's not, and I'm like, I don't understand how you don't see this. So, well, okay, I will be. Uh, I, I will be. I will be uh, thrilled and shocked <laughs> when you prove me wrong. Hey, it wouldn't be the um, first time in the Mandalorian when I've thrilled and shocked you, proving you wrong. But go ahead. That yes. is true. That is true. But uh, in the meantime. Um, I think <laughs> that the armorer having bow real quick, like I mean, you know, you know, we, you know, we only have a little minute, limited amount of time. Yeah, yeah, I can't, fine, fine. If you got to get the last word. Oh, oh now I'm okay. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> no, what were you going to say? I actually do want to know. Just what you were real quick, say. the you were talking about you want conflict between the armor and Din. I think that is coming. I think once bow, oh, sorry, the armor and bow. Once Bo realizes that the armor is trying to use her to take control of Mandalore through her, and look, it isn't like Bo doesn't have a pattern of falling in with cults and, and that not working out well for her. Uh, she's going to be the one that tries to stop the armor with Din, and we're going to see where Paz Vizsla falls in all of this when that happens. That's what I think is going to happen, but please, uh, go ahead. You might be right. You might be right, but... Uh... Again, I, I don't see the armorer. I mean, yeah, sure, Mandalorians are uh, ruthless warriors, but I don't think that, you know, all we've, all we've seen of the armorer so far is I'm protecting my people and living in a sewer and living in hiding, and then we all go live in a cave, and I got some really strict rules about helmets and shit, but other than that, I haven't really been villainous. Like, I don't really see the villainy. Um, but we'll see. I could be wrong. But speaking of villains, uh, I do like that we're picking up the Moff Gideon storyline. Yeah. The best thing about this entire sequence is that astromech droids can send their little uh, their little doodahs out as probes, which was something I did not know and something that I'm really glad that I know now. It's as exciting <laughs> as when R2-D2 flew for the first time. You're like, astromech droids just get cooler and cooler every time we come up with something new that they can do. Um, but yeah, I thought the whole sequence was really cool. I thought... Uh, this idea that like he's been extracted, that the that uh, it seems that the New Republic is sort of either covering this up or is even more inept, and it's really not clear what's going on. The Beskar armor sort of being embedded in the wall, definitely like okay, what does that mean? Are Mandalorians? Are there some Mandalorians that are siding with the Empire, siding with Moff Gideon? Is Bo-Katan gonna run into them on her journey to sort of reunite the Mandalorians? Like so, like a lot of really great pieces. So again, I think what this episode did do really, really well is we got the thread of Gorian Shard. We got the thread of the New Republic. We got Elliot Kane sort of positioned well enough to sort of influence some New Republic decisions. We got uh, the Mandalorians kind of reuniting. We got them finding a place to sort of call their home until they retook Mandalore. And we got the return of Moff Gideon, sort of. So I think, you know, as we kind of turn the corner into the back end of this season, we're setting all the pieces up that we can really have some fun in the next three episodes. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go. Agreed, Mike. Agreed. hundred uh, percent. Shannon, your thoughts on these uh, final scenes here with uh, Bo-Katan in the armor and uh, at the end there with uh, Carson Tebb. 
Well, to start, when you said random Mandalorian, all I heard in my head was Randalorian, and I was like, ah, I don't want to <laughs> interrupt him for oh, that joke. Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Um, at th- that moment, I-, I heard Barney Gumble from The Simpsons as uh, all the townspeople were clapping for uh, Grief Karg, and he's like, thank you, thank you. And all I heard is Barney going, you didn't do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I did like the the moment in his speech where he talked about like, hey, the Mandalorians, like you're welcome here. Like you might not have a home planet, but you do have a home. I'm like, oh, that's great. That's that's a that's a great that's a great emotional moment. Um, Getting to the armorer and to Bogotan. Yeah, I'm I'm, I mean, the armorer must be playing a hell of a game. If, if she's if she's ultimately gonna gonna turn heel, uh, because right now it seems like she's just you know she talks about the, the mythosaur and how the forge used to be, like thinking about how things could be if we could just all reunite. Um, so knowing and only that she do this and only operate this way, but how many that. people she can, say can, that? How many she... people can walk the way like Bo Katan? Like I think they I think I think they're setting up the possibility that there's going to be more people like Bo-Katan who, who can, who can walk the way, but also can, you know, do not do it as well. And like, take their helmets off. That's, that's, that's my guess where it is going. I'm open um, um, but he, <laughs> it is so funny that the majority of this episode, how much we have not talked about Din and Grogu, yeah. <laughs> oh, they're, you know, they're barely registering at this point. Um, yeah. The setup with uh, uh, finding the best, Beskar alloy in the in the shuttle again it, it's going to be really interesting when we get to the get to the end of this season because i know the three of us are going to be like how could you have changed the writing to make this feel less blocky like was there a way to to kind of you know interweave things a little smoother but i mean i do like the fact that uh Giancarlo, uh, uh esposito is is coming back in some in some fashion, because I did like Moff Gideon as a character, and yes, agree the the scanner being able to pop out astromech droids are cool, except for that poor one at Navarro when the pirates were coming in, who was sparking, and he's literally running into a wall, <laughs> begging for the sweet release of death. He was he was drunk. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that scene I, I said this on the Jedi Way review. It reminded me of Alien Three at the beginning when they go in and that droid is looking to see who's alive, who's not. You know, at the at the beginning of it. So I like that we got a little bit of the sci-fi element of this that was uh, reminiscent of things we've seen before uh, in other movies or whatever. Because it's very, as Michael mentioned, the budget is so good, is so high here, and they're clearly spending it on these scenes. They feel cinematic, and that's an incredible thing to witness and enjoy in these uh, Star Wars shows uh, currently. So it's just great to see. But, yeah, we'll see. I mean, you guys might be right. She might be a little more open. Maybe Bo's taught her something. We shall see. But, you know, we know Bo's got the connection to the early stuff. We know Paz has got the connection to the early stuff. And she does say to her, we've strayed too far from the way. The only way back is for all of us to walk the way. And I just wonder if she's adjusted what the way is in that some can wear helmets, some cannot. Or if she's really saying... I'm going to use Bo to get everybody also, here like, and then, you know, and then, and just, then betray it. If the most, if the most villainous thing you do is everybody has to wear a hat in the rank of star Wars, you're still not the most villain. Like, like, Oh, she's such a villain. She wants everybody to put their helmet on. Oh, it's the empire. Like, I think like eh, that's, on the tiers of villainy, sure. hats are pretty far down. You know what? 
they came for my hats and I didn't say anything. Then they came for, you know, that's how it goes. But we'll see. We'll see. I, you know, I've been alone on an island before, but I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Um, <laughs> Michael, I feel like he already gave his final words uh, wrapping up this episode in the season. So, Shannon, any final words before we wrap? Uh, yeah, I mean, to, to, to the hat argument, <laughs> when Paz says it's time for our children to play in the sun, and it's like, with their helmets on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the good stuff that they gave us was really, really good. I mean, again, all the Mandalorian action, super, super fun. Um, again, really, really satisfying as a, as a Star Wars viewer. Uh, a, a heroic Kowakian monkey lizard, always great. Um, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out because I believe there's only eight episodes. You know, we're, we've only got three left. So it's sort of like whatever the big destination was that we thought maybe it was going to be for this season, maybe it's going to be for the end of season four because it seems like, yeah. I don't know if it's enough time to have that, that big story. I can't we'll believe they're going to go take over Mandalore in the next three episodes. Like, that just would be very hard for me to believe. So that may be a, a uh, storyline that we weave into Ahsoka down the road, uh, possibly, and then touch base with it later on. So we may not get the answer about the armor until much, much later down the road. Who knows? Um, but yeah, this I, I, I really enjoyed it and have been enjoying the episode as well. And I saw some people speculate that it might be another indication of Thrawn, that Thrawn was known to play these mind games and set people up that maybe he has been the one who extricated Gideon and put the Beskar alloy there to kind of make people think it's the Mandalorians. It could be one of the night owls. Remember she said they all went off to go do their own things and maybe bought and paid for to go get Gideon out of there. It could be a sect of Mandalorians who want to make Moff Gideon pay for what he did to Mandalore. So there's a lot of possibilities of where this all goes. And I like that. There's still questions and mysteries and, and that's a good thing with a show like this um all right well thank you all so much for watching this spoiler review of uh the mandalorian season three we appreciate it the pirates we appreciate it madly shannon what do we have to tell them yeah if you'd like to follow us on social media on twitter it's at geek underscore buddies on instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies if you'd like to follow me on social media on twitter it's at shannon underscore mcclung on instagram at shannon the geek buddy if you would like to follow mr vogel not being a cult it's at mk tune if you'd like to follow mr roca might be in a cult. It's at the Roca says. <laughs> Mikey. <laughs> if you like wearing hats and making other people wear hats, then uh, you should continue checking out the Geek Buddies because, hey, we are a hat if you do, hat if you don't place. You could do what you want to do. Put whatever you want on your head here. Uh, but go ahead and smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content he's got there. Leave your comments below. What do you think about hats? Let us know in the comments. Uh, if you're listening to us on a podcast, go ahead and leave us some stars and some comments. Helps us go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, post it to your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There you go. Thank you all so much. And, of course, big shout-out to Carbon Health. who continues to power and sponsor us here on the Geek Buddies at least for one more, two more days. So head on over there. You'll get checked out today. CarbonHealth.com. Uh, they have virtual care, in-person care. They also have uh, a, a app to have a doc in your pocket. They're focusing on a lot of things to create great healthcare plans just for you. Poor Gorian Shard can no longer be part of that, but other people can, so go and be a part of it. All right, thank you all so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand-new spoiler review episode of The Mandalorian here from the Geek Buddies! <gasps> hey!
probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy, but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled, or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were. And it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.